Genesis 16, we've made it that far. And that means we've been together 16 weeks studying Genesis. That's awesome. I've enjoyed it. I hope you have. Hopefully it's been a a blessing to you. But perhaps you have noticed a trend or a reoccurring pattern as we've been studying through Genesis. It's the pattern of God revealing, (laughs) I love that baby. (laughs) What's better than a baby laughing, right? (laughs) It's awesome love right there. It's a reoccurring pattern we're seeing. Maybe you guys have noticed it. It's a pattern of God's faithfulness, his faithfulness to make promises. He reveals himself. There's this pattern. He reveals himself to men, makes him awesome promises, extraordinary, too good to be true promises. Man's moved by it. But the first chance there is of a testing of a faith, we find men failing, right? And then we see God reentering the story and being the faithful one, right? Being true to his words, being the promise keeper, preserving his word, his nature, his character, and his people. We see that, this pattern of God's promises, right? People's faithlessness, and then God reentering with his faithfulness. That's the reoccurring pattern that we see in Genesis. Promises, God's man's faithfulness, and then God's faithfulness. We see it in the life of Abram. This is the character we've been studying for the last few weeks. Remember, we met him in chapter 12, right? Abram up there making idols, the pagan with his daddy, up in Ur, the Chaldeans. And God meets him in a special way. And he says, hey, Abram, pagan, leave this place. I'm going to give you a land and I'm gonna give you a people. I am gonna bless your socks off. In fact, I'm gonna bless the people who bless you, and I'm gonna curse the people that curse you. Come on, Abram, leave. And Abram responds. He leaves the Ur of Chaldeans and makes his way down along the side of the promised land. And and you remember the very first time his his faith was tested, what happened? Remember, there was a famine in the land. And what did Abram do? Did he wait on the Lord? Did he see the Lord being the faithful one who will provide? No, of course not. He beat feet down to Egypt, remember? And played the coward and lied about his beautiful wife, Sarai, told the Egyptian that was his sister because he was afraid they would harm her because of her beauty and disaster. She gets taken into Pharaoh's harem. Oh, disaster strikes. But who shows up? Of course, God does, like he always does with his faithfulness. He afflicts Pharaoh. Sound familiar? With plagues. So Pharaoh goes back to Abram and says, take your wife and why did you lie to me and get out of here and take some stuff with you? Man's faithlessness to God's promises and then God re-entering with his faithful obedience to his own character, you see. We see the goodness of that faithfulness. Last week in chapter 15, God meeting Abram again and just reiterating, restating 
reminding Abram of those two promises that he made him, an heir and some land. And he showed him in a dramatic way, if you don't remember. How awesome is that? The last thing that we left Abram at, he's asleep, God's showing him in a vision. And what he sees is a guarantee or a ratification that his promises are true and amen. He looks up and sees God in the form of a cloud of, a pillar of of cloud or smoke and then a pillar of fire going through two pieces of dead meat, cutting a covenant by himself, which would only mean that, hey, Abram, I'm gonna cover both sides of this agreement. I got you. I'm the faithful one, even when you're the faithless one. That's the last thing he saw. Awesome, you would think. (laughs) Those experiences over the last few chapters with Abram would make him immune to faithlessness, wouldn't you think? That he'd be living a life of perfect, perfect, constant (laughs) faith, that he'd be walking in faith. Oh, but we don't see that. We find the faith that he found in chapter 15. Remember it said, Abram believed and he was counted as him as righteousness. That faith has been reduced in chapter 16 to faithlessness and pragmatism, really. Being practical. As we see Abram and Sarai taking matters into their own hands in chapter 16 in trying to make their own promised child, their own promised son that they're impatient in waiting for. And that's a fool's errand when you try to help God out, don't you think? Has there ever been a bigger oxymoron than let's try to help God out, (laughs) right? He must not know how old I'm getting or how impatient I am. Despite this, as we'll see in chapter 16, God remains faithful. And it reminds me of a verse. This week, this is what it reminded me of. The Apostle Paul's encouragement towards the end of his life, some of the last words he wrote to the, his protege, Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13, he says, if we are faithless, he is faithful because he cannot deny himself. Amen? That's what we see. Let's check it out. Chapter 16, verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go in with my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. Whoa. Interesting. I know you guys have heard this story before, but pretend you haven't. This is a Jerry Springer show? (laughs) What's happening right now? (laughs) Wow. Every conflict, every funky story 
usually starts with a problem. Did anybody catch it in verse one? The problem was the barrenness of Sarah. That was the problem. Why didn't God just, listen, it's been over 10 years since God first announced they were gonna have a kid, right? Even with the reminder of last week, when they were getting a little impatient, even with the reminder of that night sky with all those stars, Abram, look up there. That's the number of your descendants. Oh, even after that, Sarah has no children. I'm sure that this puzzled, discouraged, and even made them impatient, Sarah and Abram. Don't you think? What's going on? What's happening? I'm waiting. And I don't know, but when I read this, you can almost, you can almost sense the pain in Sarai. You know, being barren back then was a big deal. It's a big deal now, right? But back then, unbelievable pain and the pain of a hope deferred, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 13, sickens a heart. She's probably heart sickened. The unanswered prayers. Back then, the pain of public shame. You know, back then it was different. In a lot of ways, the same. Moms are moms. But that culture was different. Children were a sign of blessing. They needed kids. You see, they needed to pass on their stuff. This is a culture that it was, could be shameful not to be able to bear your own child and be fruitful and multiply. They valued mothership, motherhood. You know, one of the things that just drives me crazy, one of the biggest things about this gender bender thing that's going on is the devaluation of real motherhood. There's only one mom and moms desire, there's something in their heart that wanna make babies. Not all of them and not all of them can, I get it. But the norm is there's something in there that they feel, and it's a stigma, but they feel a little bit of shame sometimes when they can't produce. And this society was this amplitude way up there. This society needed kids, elevated motherhood. Let's put it this way. We think we're like this, but we kill our babies in our womb. And it's accepted in our society. This wasn't a society like that at this time. They valued this, the public shame. You can almost feel her pain of inadequacy, right? I mean, I don't pretend to be a, a woman, trust me. I mean, I have a hard enough time figuring out the one I live with, but I do know this, that you guys are special and believe it or not, you're different in an incredible way. And your bodies are complicated. You can grow a baby in there with the help of God. Are you kidding me? It's, it's awesome. It's to your credit. It's to your glory. 
And Sarai wanted more than anything to help do the will of God by producing the heir that was promised to her husband. And she couldn't even do that thing. That in eight, she thought she should have. The pain of public shame and inadequacy, the pain of a mother's arms that never was able to hold her own baby. She's 75. Mm, that pain broke way to being impatient, and it often does. It often does. You see, the issue wasn't, I suppose the root of everything is not having faith, but I think that they had faith that God was going to give them a child. I think they believed all group Sarai with Abram when it said that Abram believed and it was counted as him as righteous when he looked up in that sky and said, that's impossible, but I believe. I think he was, I think he had faith. I think Sarai did too. The problem isn't, what do you do now? When you have to wait, when you think God's delaying, what do you do then? I think he might, I think he's going to do this. But when? I'm waiting. I'm in pain here, Lord. What do you do when God delays is the question of chapter 16. What do you do? I'll tell you what we should do in this difficult situation of pain and waiting on God. It's exactly what we should do. (laughs) We should be still. (laughs) And know that he is God, the promise keeper, the covenant cutter, the one who has to be true to himself. Amen. We ought to wait on the Lord because we know according to scripture, as we wait, what happens to us? Our strength rises and we get another breath. As we wait and we pray and we believe on him, we have another another minute to breathe and to step towards him, right? That's what we should do. Having faith in the... (laughs) Sean left me his glasses. I love it. (laughs) He knows I'm getting old. Faith in the one who's always true. That's what we should do. However, (laughs) oftentimes we do what Sarai and Abram do. If you didn't catch it, they start taking matters into their own hands. They try to do things on their schedule. They try to help God out. Not a good idea. (laughs) She floats kind of a proposal. And it's kind of an indecent proposal. She proposes that she give her maid to her husband so that maybe, right, Maybe the promised child will be made through Hagar. Pain giving way to impatience. Instead of waiting, instead of having faith, instead of being still in the Lord, they take matters into their own hands. They use the power in their flesh, right? Their own ability, and they try to make this happen. The proposal, we would say, starting in verse 4, Before you think too weirdly about this proposal, it was surrogacy back then. This wasn't all that uncommon. They didn't have fertility clinics to go to. This is how it was done. 
If you were barren and you wanted a surrogate, you'll see it, you'll see it in the Bible. It happens more in the Old Testament. There's society, I'm not saying it was, this is right. I'm just saying in society, there would be nothing funny here. What would happen is, yeah, you could, you could do such things. And that surrogate would have a baby and the baby wouldn't be hers, just like surrogacy now. The baby would be Abrams and Sarai and that would be their heir. That's how they did it. There's nothing immoral or scandalous about it per culture here. Why don't we try surrogacy? Tired of waiting on the Lord. There's much of this proposal I'm just, that I, I just feels honorable in a way with Sarai. I don't know if you feel the same way when you read this. You're like, yes, it's lack of faith. Yes, she's taking in things into her own hands and acting in the flesh. But, but the service and the genuine sacrifice that she's willing to go through with. Listen, I can't provide this for you. And I know this is your heart's desire. Think about how much Abram really wanted this. God himself in chapter 15 shows up and says, hey, Abram, I'm your exceedingly great reward. Look at me. And he says, what will you give me? I don't have a son. Whoa, <laughs> he really wants that son. She's willing, to her credit, to give probably the most valuable, sacred thing that a spouse can give away. And that's her rights to her spouse's body. The rights for the sole receptacle of his affections, me. That's something sacred. It's something breaks when you give that up. She's actually willing to do that. So in a way, I see the service and the sacrifice, but there's much not to like about it, right? Obviously. It's based on the flesh. Perhaps she concludes in her mind that I do oftentimes. God told me what he wants. Now the rest is up to me. Have you ever told yourself that lie? You know, God's way is important as much as where you're going. How you get it is really, really important. She tries to help God out a bit, acting in her flesh, and it doesn't work out. Abram agrees. Instead of making things better, instead of being a steady hand for Sarai, he makes it worse by agreeing to this. It's Adam and Eve all over again, if, if, if you didn't notice. <laughs> he knew better. Adam knew better. Abram knew better. Abram knew better. Abram himself saw the visions. God revealed them to him. Saw, just go back to the starry sky. Could you imagine God putting you to sleep and showing you the things that Abram was shown by the Lord himself? He knew better. He saw the awesome visions. He saw the covenant cutter. He saw the smoke and the fire. He should have been a steadying hand. Honey, let's pray about this. This can't be the way. Let's see what God shows us. You don't have to do this. Instead, he listens to his wife. 
Did you see that? Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Now listen, I think listening to your wife is a good thing. It is a good thing. I couldn't imagine not having the wisdom of my wife in my life, and I listened to her. But listen to me now. There are times when your wife should listen to you, and one of them is right here. No, I will not listen to you. This is not okay. I'm gonna lead spiritually. We're gonna pray about this one. That seems crazy, and you don't have to give up this. Right? Men, there's times when you shouldn't listen to your wife. This is probably one of them when she tells you to sleep with her maid. Okay? He knew better. And Abram is guilty as much as Sarai is in this, and I think more. You see, the other thing that you might not have caught there, but Abram was oh too quick to agree to this, don't you think? Think about this. And you ought to be careful, people. This aside, when somebody offers you something that meets your fleshly needs, you ought to just take a second and go, listen, I know God wants to give you the desires of your heart, godly desires of your heart, not the desires of your flesh. There's two things he really wanted. One was a son. And when Sarai offers a shortcut to that, of course he jumped on it. And by the way, you get to sleep with my young maid to get it done. What do you think, Abram? He didn't put up much of a fight, did he? We ought to be careful. I think he's more culpable here. Abram. The faith he had in 15 given away to faithlessness and pragmatism. It's all practicality. No faith, no praying. So together, Abram and Sarai are both guilty of taking their matters into their own hands, trying to help God out. And what we'll see here is that they're going to they're going to they're going to experience some pain. There was a problem of barrenness. There's a proposal and that is to use their own fleshly stuff to get it done. The problem was is that that's going to lead to a price that's going to cost something because when we do what with our flesh, when we sow to the flesh, we're going to reap to the flesh. We're going to see some bad things here. And if you want to know the list of the works of the flesh, go to Galatians chapter 5. There are things like strife, jealousy, anger, rivalries, division, envy. Ah, it's the Jerry Springer show. That's what they're inviting. And check it out. When you look at verse 4 through 6, you'll see the price. It's an absolute mess. Let's check out what happens Directly after he went into Hagar, Abram had sex with her and she conceived. Look what happens immediately after that. And when she saw that she had conceived, Hagar, when she saw she was pregnant, what did she do? She looked with contempt on her mistress, Sarai. And Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me, Abram. But Abram said to Sarai, behold, your servant is in your power. Do with her as you please. And then Sarah, Sarai dealt harshly with Hagar and Hagar fled from her. 
That sounds like a mess to me. If you unwrap it a little bit, it's really just the outworking of acting in your flesh, taking matters into our own hand. Going through with this proposal changes everything. Do you see the very first thing that happens? The very first thing that happens is Hagar seems like an innocent bystander, right? The surrogate mother, the first thing she does when she gets pregnant is she rubs it right in Sarai's face. It says here, she looked upon Sarai with contempt. Oh, and in the original Hebrew, it's an awesome phrase. Looked on as contempt means literally Hagar, after she got pregnant, the epitome of motherhood in those days, the fruit, the fruitful, multiplying, honorable mom looked down upon the fruitless, barren Sarai and looked at her literally uh, in a, a light way, in a little way in Hebrew. It means like she looked down on a lighter person. She looked down on her nose. She looked right down on her and said, I am exalted and I can get pregnant and you can't, Sarai. Picking that scab of the pain and the shame and the pain of being inadequate to her husband right when they were in the house, put it right back on her. Oh my Lord, could you imagine the fireworks that would have went off? And you see it in Sarai, right? She goes berserk. She goes, who does she go to? Abram. Abram, <laughs> may the wrong that's been done to me be on you. Again, may the Lord judge you, Abram. If you ever wonder if the characters in the Bible are real men and women, this is a typical woman right here. Blames. Think about what just happened just for one moment. It was her idea, to be fair to Abram, she cooked this up. She's the one that was impatient because of her, her pain. It was her breakdown. She floats this indecent proposal. Of course, he goes along with it, but, but now she blames the man. Typical woman, right? <laughs> it's your fault. May, the, may, may God judge between you and me. It makes you wonder if she really wanted Abram to go through with this. Have you ever thought of that perspective? She was more than willing to do it, but I don't think she wanted him to do it. I think she wanted Abram, like a lot of women do, to read between the lines, don't you think? That was a pretty easy one. She's waiting for Abram to say, no, honey, no. You're my one and only. God made us a promise. And let's pray about this. He showed me the impossible, but he walked through that and cut that covenant. He's going to, there's a, this is not the way. She's waiting for him to fight for her and not go through this. Typical man, amen? Not seeing what he should have saw. And the proof of this is the way he reacts. He doesn't take any responsibility. What does he say? It's your servant. Do with her what you want. I'm not getting emotionally involved in this. I did my part. I had the sex. <laughs> What's happening? These people were real people. It's one of the most encouraging things about the Bible. 
This was a typical woman and a typical man that did something that they'll never be the same. The world, as we'll see, will never be the same. There's some things you do. Listen to me now. Making up proposals, one thing. Going through with it to this extent, you do that kind of stuff in your life and things will never, ever be the same. Yes, there's restoration and yes, there's forgiveness, but it breaks something in the very soul in the people that you hurt. And you see that come out here in the price of this proposal, amen? The result, Sarah, it kind of goes down the hill, right? Hagar to Sarah, Sarah to Abraham, Abraham back to Sarah, now Sarah back at Hagar. She says, it says here, she treated her harshly. I don't know what that means. It means that she wasn't nice to her and she let her have it. That's her servant. Probably, probably took care of this young lady all the way from when they were in Egypt, brought her back to Canaan. Probably provided motherly, mother hen, good stuff to this lady. That was her mistress. That was her madam, if you will. And she rubbed that in her face. That lady let her have it. Said she treated her harshly. And what did she do? She left. She fled from her. She rebelled. She went out from under her superior and went out in the wilderness. And she went and left. The result is harshness and rebellion. But even in this place, as we'll find, as we finish up, even in this place where we reap what we sow in the flesh, the price of it all, you'll see God sees. God sees. He comes back in the story. Remember the cycle? Absolute train wreck. It only took him a half a chapter. He comes back in. He's going to save the day. He's going to see the one in the most need, he's gonna see her need and he's gonna provide. So if we had a problem, we had a proposal, we had the price of that proposal, now we're gonna find the provision. We're gonna find God himself, actually Jesus Christ himself as the provision for his people. Check it out in verse seven through 15. Let's read it. So this is Hagar being dealt harshly with, runs out into the wilderness. The supposed promised child in her belly, heading away from that household of faith. Verse seven, this is what happens. The angel of the Lord found her. Of course he did. By a spring of water in the wilderness. The spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and you shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man. 
his hand against everyone and every, everyone's hand against him and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. Verse 13, so she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are a God of seeing. She said, truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called Berlahai Roy, and it lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. And Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Wow. Interesting. Fascinating, don't you think? The angel of the Lord found her. Now this phrase, or better put, this name, the angel of the Lord, it's the first time it's mentioned in the Bible. Of course, Genesis is the beginnings. There's lots of first times, right? First time, this phrase is used in the Bible, the angel of the Lord. And if you compare that to other times this is used, there is no doubt in anybody's mind who's a Bible student that this is the pre-incarnate Christ. This is the second person of the Trinity. This is the eternal son of God. This right here was Jesus Christ before we named him Jesus, before he joined himself with a man and we named him Jesus. Same person. Angel of the Lord it just means messenger of the Lord. The sent one. Of course he found her. Of course. Does anybody else find this to be extraordinarily awesome and encouraging that the first time Jesus Christ, in a way, came down and made himself known to people on this earth was to an Egyptian servant who was pregnant with Ishmael, the result of that indecent proposal out in the wilderness, full of her pain, full of her rebellion. She left that full of pride, looking down her nose at Sarah. Look at me, I'm pregnant. Of course he found her. It said the angel of the Lord found her. I mean, listen to me. This lady was running away as fast as she could, rebelling and sinning and bucking and bronking and fussing and snorting as far away as she could from the household of faith. She runs right smack dad into Jesus Christ. Come on, you can't make this stuff up. Of course he found her. Just what she needed. It's one thing that's true about our Lord and it makes me so encouraged and so happy is that Jesus Christ is attracted to the greatest need. He is near to those that are brokenhearted. And there's something about this lady that drew him, that made God <laughs> summons the son to go comfort her and find her, right? And make no mistake of it, she was not seeking it. There's none that seeks, no, not one. It's our story, is it not? We did the sinning and the rebelling 
We played the rebel, living our life away from the Lord, away from faith, and we run right smack dab into Jesus Christ. And he provides for us, as you'll see, and he sees right through us, as you'll see. Amen? He sought us and he bought us with his redeeming blood. It's a picture of that. I find it interesting and extraordinary that Jesus Christ comes to the slave girl full of pride and rebellion, meets her needs. He finds her like the good shepherd. (laughs) And look what he says to her. Where have you come from and where are you going? She tells him where she came from. Sarah is treating me harshly. I'm running away from her. She has no answer where she's going. No idea. Think about this. Probably teenage girl, probably pregnant, on the run in the middle of the wilderness, finds something to drink at a well, something about a well and a woman there that Jesus is attracted to. She didn't know where she was going. She needed Christ to find her, and he did. And look at the way, first thing he says to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. Oh, my. Submit to your affliction. You're not going to escape your consequences. And this is always the way to experience God's grace and blessing when you're right in the middle of the wilderness, right in the middle of reaping what you sow. You submit and you return. You are not free from your circumstances. God never promises to remove circumstances from your life. We can pray for that all we want. Sometimes he does, but most of the time he doesn't because he wants to show himself faithful in your circumstance, right? He wants to show you. He wants to grow you up and build your faith. He's the faithful one that in the middle of all that pain, when you need him the most, he's going to come through. And I hope you've experienced that, Christian. I hope you've seen that in your life, that when you need it the most, he comes through. Who has seen that? God, amen? Amen. He says, go back. Submit. I'm not getting you out of jail here. Go submit. And so she does. And when she does, immediately, Christ says this, blessings, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered. Oh, when you go back and submit, I'm going to bless you. And you're going to have a lot of people too. Hagar, there's going to be a line of people that come out of you as well. Blessings always follow obedience. And then the angel of the Lord, the messenger from the Lord, really, Christ himself, tells a prophecy of Ishmael, the baby that's going to be born. He says, you're going to, you're going to bear this kid, and he, he's going to be a wild one. He's going to be a man that loves confrontation, that loves conflict, that everybody's hand's going to be against him, and, and, and he's going to be against everybody. He's going to be a fighter, this guy, a wild donkey of a man, an ass, if you will, right? <laughs> Nonconformist. 
And if you know your history, this is the Arab people. Born out of this servant girl's belly is going to come Ishmael. The Arab people, they're the Ishmaelites, if you will. And they'll come out here and they'll be at great odds with the lineage that's going to come out of the promised son that we'll see in a couple chapters, Isaac. The Jews will come out of him, right? So you have these two lines of people, one out of the flesh, Hagar, born out of the flesh, Galatians chapter 4 says. The, the fruit of that is Ishmael, is the Arabs. The fruit of the promise, faithful, is going to be Isaac. He will come, as you'll see, out of Sarai in a few more years. And out of that will be the Jewish nations. And how sad is this? And how tragic is it really, is this whole history that's been playing out for thousands of years, this conflict between the Jews and the Arabs, knowing that it, it came from this act, this act of the flesh. It came right here. Their brother, their half-brothers, they share the same dad. One might argue correctly that Ishmael's conception was because of sin and unbelief and the flesh, and you would be right. But listen to me, because you need to listen to this part. Because we have a Western mind. We think God just wants to wipe all the Arabs out. Hey, the first part of the story, that was on man. Jesus shows himself to an Arab girl who inside her is growing Ishmael, who is going to be at odds with his people for thousands of years. He could have snuffed her out. He could have left her in the desert. He could have done all those things, but he didn't. He's not done with the Arab people. He's using them. We should be praying for them. And there are Christian Arabs. Amen? Amen. This one's on God. And God specifically commanded Hagar to go back, to stay in his story, to stay in the Jewish story, right? We can know that God's story for the Arab people aren't done yet. Amen? From right here. Hagar, I think, was melted by now. Her pride probably gone. After he gave that prophecy and promised to multiply her, says, you are a God of seeing. Isn't he a God of seeing? This Arab girl out there, he sees right through her all the pain, all the pride, all the sin, all of that. He saw the beginning from the end. She sensed omniscience and power. And, he, and she names him you are the God of seeing. How cool is that? That's the circumstance that gripped her. This God knows me just as I am and knows what concerns me and has blessed me. She named the well Berla Aroy. And what that means in Hebrew, it's the well of the living one who sees me. It's the God who pays attention to people in need. How beautiful is that? I hope you have found God to be the one who lives and sees in your life. The one who knows all about you and me, as he did Hagar, 
and still tells you to return and submit in your darkest hour, but sees it and provides for you a well of grace and blessing in the middle of all that. Amen? So Hagar returns, that last verse. She returns, and Ishmael is born, it says. And I don't know if you caught it, but it said Abram was 86 years old when Ishmael was born. This means, if you read ahead, the next sentence in the Bible, chapter 17, verse 1, says, Abram was 99 years old. 99. If I can do math right, I think that's, is that 13? 13 years? She goes back, has this baby. There's 13 years of Jerry Springer at the house of Abram, probably. <laughs> the strife the envying, the bitterness, the jealousy, the heartache that characterized his family for probably 13 years. Maybe they all grew up. I doubt it. God's trying to teach Abram and Sarah something. Listen, apart from me, you can do nothing. I am the vine. You're the branches, right? You don't have to take matters into your own hands. It's not all up to you. It's up to me, I got big hands. I'm the promise keeper. I'm the covenant cutter. I'm the one who made the stars. I'm the one that is true. I cannot deny myself. My character and your nature is faithful and true. Amen? And he will accomplish what he needs to accomplish in his due time. So when we believe, but we have a hard time waiting for God, may we not do what these guys did. May we hold, may we be still and know that he is Lord. May we wait on the Lord and watch our strength gain and place our faith in him, the great faithful one, amen? Amen. So Father, thank you for this wonderful illustration that we don't have to take matters into our own hands. That you are the great faithful one. That your promises are yes and amen always that your timing is the best timing. So Father, when pain grips us and it brings us to being impatient, would you, would, you, would you still our hearts by your spirit and draw us near to you so we would wait on you? Would you strengthen us? And Father, we're so grateful that you're a God who sees even the Arab servant girl impregnated with Ishmael, that you bless, you're a blesser of of hearts, a comforter, someone who knows us and loves us. Thank you in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a good night.